0: you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life it's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they've become today on the moment with chris epting you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment now here is your host chris epting
1: Thank you and welcome to the moment today. I appreciate you joining me. I have a really special guest today, something a little bit different than uh, than what you're probably used to with musicians, typically musicians and the occasional writer, although he is a writer. Uh, ben Lytle is, uh, is really an intellectual giant in my view. He's an entrepreneurial leader with four successful companies to his credit, including two which are listed on the New York Stock Exchange. One of the companies he founded is Anthem, which you've probably heard of today, 29th on the Fortune 500 with a market cap of over $79 billion. And Ben and I met recently and had, I thought, some really invigorating conversations about um, about the COVID virus, about some projects he's working on. And I thought he would make a great conversation. Ben, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. Glad to be here. You know, Ben, it's funny. Um, here we are now. I forget what month of the pandemic we're in, but we've finally arrived at this sort of initial vaccine stage. I'd love to start talking about with your expertise in the health industry. And we talked a little bit about it at lunch not too long ago. Um, but but your take right now on if you, a snapshot of where you think we're at, um, is there... Hope on the horizon, like how are you feeling personally with all you've done and all you've contributed um, to the healthcare industry? What, what are you thinking right now and how are you, what, what observations are you making about where we're at right now? Well, you
2: know, I, I, I look at it, I guess, a little differently, certainly than, uh, than a lot of people that I talk to and, and some that I see on, on the media. You know, to me, we were we in this case, meaning humanity, <laughs> was was hit by a Mack truck about about a year ago. I mean, just absolutely out of nowhere for for us, and it just flattened us. And uh, and at first, we were you know full of fear and unknowns, and and uh, and, and today, we're on offense. Uh, we're we're seriously on offense, and uh, uh, both with the uh, with the vaccines and the therapeutics, and we've actually been on offense a long time, but uh, but it hasn't probably seemed that way, uh, and and so you know right now everybody's still very very nervous, and we're we're anxious to get the vaccines, but uh, and we're we're critical of everybody and everything, but I think we need to stand back. And put this into to 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 perspective with other great disasters that we faced in history. Mm -hmm. You know, Pearl Harbor, the Great Depression, the 1918 pandemic, many pandemics in the history. Uh, People, we've we've turned this thing in a year, and it's not over, but. We're we're on offense and we're and we're going to beat this thing, uh, and and we're going to learn a lot for it. And so I think when we look at uh, everybody around us, but especially you know all the people, uh, all of us individually, we did our best. Let's give ourselves a little applause. You know, good for us. We we we're getting through this tragedy. So. So that's that's the way I feel about it. Uh, Chris is is I'm very optimistic and I think we are we deserve giving ourselves and everybody else a break and and uh, and really being optimistic about the future.
1: And and of course with the vaccines coming up that you mentioned. I don't know if you've re- you've received yours yet. I don't think you have, right?
2: No, mine's coming up on uh, February the 14th, and I did not jump the line. I didn't pull. Any, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pull any of my health care connections. I got, I got lied like everybody else in the online system. And you're uh, feeling
1: good about it. I mean, for people oh, that are absolutely. I mean, obviously, with all there's always anxiety about something new, and you'll you'll get these sort of um, these reports about about. Um, I was telling you off mic that um, here in Orange County. Cal- Cal- Orange County, California, a health worker, was uh, received the vaccine, died a few days later. They don't know what the connection is, if there was one, what it was. But it obviously becomes a front page thing. It becomes a very clickable story, which unfortunately, I think, tends to, you know, create kind of a, a little hysteria, perhaps, where it's not due.
2: Yeah, and, it, you know, we all have to remember the news media is in the business of selling sensationalism. And so uh, I don't mean to diminish uh you know, that, that these things are important to report. But, but I think we have to be the filter to put it in perspective. Uh, uh, and, and everybody's got to make their own decision. You know, I think mm-hmm. everybody's got to decide what they want to do. But uh, a, at least for me, and I will tell you that everything I'm saying to you, I've said to everyone in my family and friends and everyone else, uh, to me, any reasonable, rational person, uh, this is a balance of risks. And, and you have to risk uh, the risk of COVID and all its horrible ugliness and the life and the things we don't understand about it yet, about how long it can continue right. to do damage to our bodies. You have to balance that against the risk of a vaccine going bad. And, and there are unquestionably, when you do anything with millions and millions and millions of people, there's going to be anomalies. Uh, There's not been a single pharmaceutical innovation or any other medical innovation for that matter Mm -hmm. for the last hundred years since we've had modern medicine that hasn't, when it did something for millions of people, had a few anomalies. But I think if you, a reasonable person who balances the risk will say, yeah, there's no question about it. I'm going to get the vaccine. I know I am, all my family is, all my friends are. And I think we've made a reasonable choice. But again, it's everybody's individual choice. The one thing that I can assure people because this is not something that's in everybody's everyday experience. If you're if you're the CEO of Pfizer or in Johnson and Johnson. Some people figure oh they've rushed this thing or they you know they don't uh, they they didn't they don't care, they just want to sell. It, it, that's just silly because if you're the CEO of Pfizer, you're the board of directors of Pfizer uh, or Johnson and Johnson, your entire net worth and everything you are is on the line to, to, on this vaccine
3: Good point. And,
2: all, and, and all of the, all of the incentives there were to go slow and be careful and don't make a mistake. So, uh, I, I think they will have, we can trust that they will have done absolutely their best to make this as safe as possible as is everybody else down the line.
1: You know, what concerns me is the, you know, the fact that the the degree of globalization that exists now, you know, we can Mm -hmm. control what happens in this country. Um, I saw a headline yesterday. The headline read, quote, experts say it's groundless to hold China accountable for COVID-19. Now, that headline appeared in something called the China Daily Newspaper, which is owned by the, quote, publicity department of the Chinese Communist Party. And I worry that, you know, in terms of accountability, like you mentioned, we don't know the ramifications or, or the lingering effects of a disease like this. Right. Um, and, and there are probably insights that you could learn from an open society, which China is not. And I guess I get really concerned about the fact that we don't maybe we're never gonna know the actual the origin, the development, the release, any of these details that could really help understand and 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 deter this from happening again. That's my big Concern, I guess, is that what's the stuff stop- without knowing those things? How do you prevent this from happening tomorrow, all over again, with a new virus?
2: Well, I, I think it will happen regardless of where it comes from. Uh, you know, we're we're at, we're in a in a struggle with viruses. We've known it for a long time, uh, but uh, I think you know, certainly, this has been a horrible tragedy. But we're going to learn a lot. We mm-hmm. already have learned a lot, and there are already being books and gazillions of articles being written on what can we learn going forward? What can we learn about fighting viruses in the future? Uh, the whole technology behind Pfizer and, uh, and Moderna's vaccines are brand new. And that's one of the reasons they were able to bring it to the market so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will, we'll learn how to fight these better. Uh, we'll uh, learn that, uh that science uh, has is our savior in most cases on the in disease, uh, but that it has limits. And there's things each of us have to do. Being healthy, keeping yourself healthy, is the strongest thing you can, the strongest defense you possibly can, having a strong immune system. Uh, and of course, some people can't help it; they get, you know, they get uh, hit with a disease or a condition. But for those of us that have a choice, that's our obligation. Uh, We've got a decentralized um, uh, local driven health system. Uh, and it, it, it's why we couldn't just order these things. And but but that's because we're a constitutionalist, uh, federalist democracy. We're not a mm. centralized autocracy. And I don't think anybody wants us to be right. So right. that's one of those those things. So going forward, though, Chris, I think the main thing we're going to one of the biggest lessons out of this is that it's going to be more up to us. To take better care of ourselves. Of all the lessons that have come out of this, uh, I hope that's one that really sticks.
1: I could not agree more. And it's funny, I've been saying that so much that we're at a certain point that needs to be promoted. I think by all mm-hmm. sort of all hands on deck to encourage people to to you know, if not now, when do you start taking better care of yourself when this thing right. you know could affect you and. You know that that to me has been an issue because we haven't seen really a lot. That messaging really hasn't been that prominent, and I'm hoping at some point that becomes the priority. Because you can, I mean, obviously, the better shape you're in, just in general, you're going to be able to fend off things like this to some degree, um, right. better than if you've got all these, you know, conditions that could have been preventable. Obviously, not all of them can be. Right. Um, there are people that are naturally compromised um, with diseases and things like that but in terms of our look we all put on a lot of weight right during the -hmm. the the pandemic right there to me the lesson is something we can all appreciate we all probably every single person (laughs) in this country now could stand to lose between 20 and 30 pounds as a result of what happened in the last year you know and and so it's a good starting point to remind people that this is this is the moment to really take control and, uh, well, you
2: know, Chris, one, one sort of, uh, note of optimism on that, uh, for what it's worth, you know, I've, I've been in the business of both living and promoting health for a long time, long before it was fashionable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I helped found, a, a, a prevention and wellness company with my son, uh, Hugh that was very successful, uh, and, uh. And 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 that was in the 2004 to 2006 time frame. There's been enormous progress, a, a cultural shift towards health and fitness today, far beyond what we were dealing with back then. I mean, it's it's actually pretty remarkable for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number of the number of fitness centers available, not just here but worldwide. You can you know now you can find a fitness center. I remember when I couldn't find a fitness center in London. Or, or Rome. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, the, the number of dietary options available, the attention to what to food and eating healthier. So I think we're making progress. It's just mm-hmm. we need to kick it in gear. Like so many things, the future is going to demand we do it better and
1: faster. There was a picture a few weeks ago um, in regards to the NFL playoffs that showed when Tom Brady became, I think, at 43 years old, you know, along with George Blanda, the oldest guys to throw touchdown passes, and they showed a side-by-side photo of Brady and Blanda. Now, Blanda at 43 looked about – 73 – and Brady at 43 looks about 23. And it really <laughs> struck me just how things yeah. have changed. And like in the 70s, especially, you remember ball players were not really, you know, they would smoke in the dugout, <laughs> you know. Yeah. They would. And, and so I think you're right. I think there has obviously been a, a pretty broad sweeping change. And, and again, now more than ever, I think the focus um, really matters. Ben, is there a moment from your life? When, because we like to talk about moments here on the moment, well, a moment where you sort of um, realized that 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 this kind of profession, that health, that well-being, that that you know, forming companies that would that would create opportunities for people to to live longer, was there a point where that became important to you that you remember something that shifted in your life that made you realize this was something you were going to zero in on?
2: Uh, slightly. It's slightly different, but, but, uh, it, but in, in, when I was 20 years old, because it, as it was one of those days you don't ever forget when I was 20 years old, uh, I took, uh, an elective in college and, you know, I was a kid raised on a ranch, worked hard, you know, did those kind of things, uh, but, but pretty much a, you know, small town, Texas kid, but going to college and, um, and I, uh, I, I took this class called Introduction to Personality. And in that class, a young, very charismatic uh, uh, professor uh, taught me something. He opened a the, opened the door to me. And it was essentially that you have a real choice in how you live. You don't have to live as your parents did. You don't have to live as everyone else does. You can choose an exceptional life. And 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 how you go about that uh, is a lot through discovering your innate talents, uh, what drives you, and then following it. And that was huge for me. And it really changed the course of my life. I, I changed my major the next day. Uh, I went, uh, I really started to pay attention to uh, exceptional people around me and to to encourage you know get them to be mentors, uh, and in my thirties I met a whole series of remarkable people, uh, and one of those uh, people really helped me focus in on physical uh, physical health as well as our psychological, our social health, our emotional health, hmm. and uh, and then that that led me to uh, building Anthem and uh, and 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 doing all the other things I have in healthcare. Uh, and so that was a second great moment in my in my 30s when this, I met this whole and I really started to ex- study exceptional people. And I met a lot of exceptional people. What makes them exceptional? And then just uh, five years ago, uh, I decided to put the, all of that uh, all of that experience and learning down into a message about uh, how how do we how do we adapt to a rapid future that's coming at us? Uh, and it's going to be totally different than any any uh, than the way people have previously lived before and how we get prepared for that.
1: Well, I think you are absolutely a futurist. Um, I don't know if you consider yourself that, but you certainly strike me as that. And we come back after this break and want to talk a little bit now kind of springboard into what you're doing now and how you're applying this kind of thinking and these kinds of concepts and, and really helping people prepare for what lies ahead. I mean, it's a great time, I think, to have that conversation because right now, the future all of a sudden, I think, seems a lot closer with what's going on. Everything has become so compressed and so desperate for a lot of people. We need really need to start thinking about how we're going to survive um, these times right now in the immediate. When we come back with Ben Lytle, we're going to have that part of the conversation. I'm Chris accepting this is the moment and thank you for listening become our friend on facebook
3: post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about roadside baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here. Big and small, telling and frivolous, I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com.
0: You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or a comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at ChrisEpting.com. That's Chris at ChrisEpting.com. Now, back to The Moment.
1: I'm back with my guest, Ben Lytle, today. Ben is, of course, a very successful entrepreneur and thinker and intellect. We've been talking about COVID-19 Um, Ben, I want to talk a little bit about we, before the break, discussing, you know, at your stage of the game now. You could very easily rest on your laurels and enjoy the the multitude of successes that you've um, created in the course of your career, but you're, you're not really content doing that. You strike me as a very restless thinker and somebody who wants to keep pushing the envelope. And we were talking, um, you know, not long ago in person uh, at lunch one day, we were talking about a guy named Alvin Toffler an author who wrote a book called Future Shock. You well, know, I read it when I was, I think, in high school originally. And it was, to me, it was at once exhilarating, but also really scary because it presented all of these scenarios about what the future might hold, and, and the, for better or worse. And you knew him, actually, right?
2: That's right. Yeah, it was actually
1: uh, inspired by, uh, he
2: He wrote three seminal books, one in 1970, Future Shock, a second one in Third wave in 1980, and a third one power shift in 1990, and uh, I was was uh, became a real student of his work, and actually built Anthem and a. And the other public company I built, Accordia, around some of the decentralization principles, trying to make the company more responsive uh, and invited. He actually called me up and we ended up, uh, he ended up speaking to one of my board seminars and uh, got to know him pretty well. And he had, he had a real influence on my thinking about how the future unfolds.
1: Well, to that end, let's talk a little bit about a new project you've, or projects, plural, that you've embarked on as a writer. This is sort of a new hat for you. I mean, in a way, I mean, I know you did a lot of writing um, over the course of your career, but but not in this kind of long form narrative of which you've recently embarked. Right? You've decided to sort of put together. Uh, I, I guess it's one part memoir, but also one part, you know, futuristic uh, treaties about where we might be going. Right. And you, you've. Yeah,
2: it's, it's, no, it's really, it's really not a memoir. Uh, what happened, uh, Chris, a, a short story was I will, I, was enjoying life, had no intention to, <laughs> to <laughs> particularly do anything with this, all this work I had accumulated on exceptionalism and then things I was thinking, but, but you're right. I, I do follow, um, uh, I read all the books on the future. I follow all the news feeds on innovation and things like that, not just in medicine, but in technology and across the board. Uh, And uh, about, uh, and and I've, I've written for myself uh, for years and years. I'll write on a subject and just store it because it helps me clarify myself how I understand. Do I really understand an issue? Uh, And so I had all that work uh, and about, uh, five years ago, I really it really hit me in conversations with people how little people understood uh, about the process of change and that change is accelerating and with every innovation it accelerates again. And if you don't believe it does, just ask yourself, is my life faster or slower since I got a smartphone? You know, uh, it, it, it speeds up. That's just what it does. It's more convenient, a lot of great things, but it speeds up. And that was what, really one of Toffler's principles, and that the future that's coming at us, the, the next 30 years, uh, is, is likely to be the greatest change in human history. And, in fact, the next 30 years may eclipse all the changes that have ever happened to date. Now, stop and think about that a minute. And the, and the decisions that we as, as people are going to have to make are going to be pretty dramatic uh, and, and and so I, I had all that in my and, and I said you know I'm got, I've got to write something, put something together for my grandkids and for my adult children because they're going to live 30 years. Uh, and so I started out I put it, the idea was going was going to be a paper. well a paper turned into a book. And then the book turned into three books because <laughs> the material was too broad. So essentially, now it's a three-book series. Uh, and, oh, and along the way as I began to talk about it and make progress on it. Uh, people that I respect said to me, "You know, this—you don't want this to just be for your family. You want to—you want to take this out, and let other people see what you, you're thinking is. It's worth it." Uh, so I, even though I was reluctant to say. To say the least reluctant uh, author, that's what I've decided to do. And to take it out, talk about it. Uh, and so there's three books. The the first book essentially <laughs> describes... Uh, not the future in terms of innovation. There's some outstanding books out there like Factfulness by Hans Ros- uh, uh-huh. Rosling or uh, Abundance by, Steve- Steven, uh, by Peter Diamandis and Steven Kotler and other books. Uh, uh, there's many really great books out there on the future, but they're all about innovations. None of them to date really has said, what's that, how's it gonna affect me? How's it gonna affect me personally in my life? And what do I need to do to adapt? And so that's what I, since that was really my focus with my grandkids anyway, and my family, that's what I, I've focused on. So the first book is all about digesting all of that innovation down. So here's how it's, here's how it's going to affect you personally. Mm-hmm. And here's what you can do prepare to prepare. The second book goes deeper into how we really pursue human exceptionalism or potential. And the name and and the third one the third book is what derails exceptional people if people really become wise and effective and, and and good in 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 whatever they do they're at their best what knocks them off the track and how do you avoid that so that's the three books uh, that I'm working on
1: when you I wanna we'll break those down a little bit in a moment but when you said something very interesting the idea about what the next 30 years is going to be like that it's going to be more than the sum total of what we've experienced is there something that you imagine that you can share to to give that some shape on on how you see people's lives developing in 30 years and what the most radical changes would be
2: yeah yeah i can i think i can give give a, a few at least thumbnails one thing that I would, before I say that, though, I, I want to make I sure that interrupt for one that, second,
1: but only because already when you look back at where we're at today, I think about smartphones. You think of as a kid, it it already is. It's so mind-bending where we're at now. That's why mm-hmm. what you said is is so intriguing because I it's hard to fathom something um, more accelerated than we've been through. So I'm apologize for interrupting, but that's what's really driving my yeah. interest. In this, is how much farther can we go? But go ahead.
2: Yeah, well, and the answer is a long way. As a matter of fact, un, uh, it, it, it's mind-blowing to think what life is going to be. I, I, will, I will predict and hold myself accountable for this, that we won't recognize. In, in 2050, everybody that's alive and looks back uh, will not recognize 2020, how, how we could have possibly lived like that. That's how That's how much it's going to change. What I've witnessed in 70 years, we're going to see in 30 or less. Uh, and um, I do want to say at the outset, though, so people know where I'm going, the, the arc of history is upward. This is where I start with. It has been upward since the beginning of mankind, since human beings first uh it existed it's always been upward i personally believe it's going to continue to be upward and so at the end of the day i'm an optimist about the future and that separates me from an awful lot of people <laughs> yes. uh, but 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 it's because i, I just don't under, i don't i can't quite not not that it's not impossible it's certainly possible we could drive ourselves off a ledge but, but I think we have to remember that our cerebral cortex is still pretty much in our hunter-gatherer. It hasn't evolved as, the, as fast as, as, our, our, as reality. And so uh, we've survived a lot, and, and there will be some tough times. But at the end of the day, I can't believe that nature is done with us. I, th- I think in the next 30 years, I think we'll come through this. And in fact... It has the potential to be a fabulous world. So let me get now to some specifics. One thing, uh, if, if you think about how what's going to change in 30 years and you try to condense that down, uh, I'd say three ways. First of all is we are going to be changed. You, Chris, are going to be a different creature, as is every person out there. Uh, we're going to be different. We're going to be in many ways superhuman. Now that sounds very futuristic, but it's actually not. Uh, as we become the, the as we further integrate ourselves with automation, in other words, that's that automation, the different the separation line between us and automation becomes more and more seamless. We gain the power of automation while we're still human. And so At the end of the day, what we can do, if you can imagine, and and that's likely to occur just in a couple of simple transitions. Uh, One, is, and that's what's called the brain to computer interface. And so if you think of your smartphone, that's a brain to computer interface. It uses a little device and a screen and a keyboard. Now imagine that brain to computer interface is simply voice. You simply think or you simply say what you want and you have it. Uh, that's a huge transition and it's not oh. that far away. And then take one more step and, and, and you simply think what you want. So you attach a little pad to the back of your neck uh, or a special earpiece and you simply think what you want. No keyboard, no screen. You simply think it. Now imagine the impact of that on work and on your life. That's one for sure, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's not science fiction. Anybody that thinks go out keep, go go out and sure. uh, and, and and Google uh, uh, brain to computer inter- interface and read what's happening. A second was is going to be uh, is going to be our uh, 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 is work. What's gonna happen to work Uh, with artificial intelligence and robotics, we're gonna automate pretty much anything out of existence that is uh, dangerous uh, or repetitive or involves uh, much physical labor. And that's gonna create a huge transition in the middle on what do we do with people that don't necessarily have all the skills, but on the other hand, think about what a waste of humanity uh, all of that in human skills all that is, all that kind of work is and what would happen if suddenly 20 30 40% of the people in the world started focusing on where work will go which is creative work problem solving and complex human relationships what kind of problems could we solve in the world so so I think it's, the transition may be rough, but when we get there, it's uh, or as we get there, it's going to be incredibly powerful what human beings can accomplish. And hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll we'll have downsides. We'll do things wrong, but hopefully, we'll get through it all and we'll evolve, uh, you know, the, uh, an amazingly different kind of creature doing much more interesting and meaningful work and living longer
1: do you think that social media is going to continue to play the role that it does in people's day-to-day lives?
2: You know, I have, I have hopes uh, and it, and it's, you know, again, I always come back to, to, to looking at how we got to where we are. Uh, And, and, and it's, it's not unusual in, in human history for innovations as marvelous as they can be to be misused at first. Mm-hmm. And and underestimated, uh, and and w- then we adapt as human beings. You know, we adapt and go. Well, that wasn't quite right. And there's just you know example after example after example. So I like. I hope. I hope that um, social media is in the the teenager stage of development, and because it has great potential to. To to bring people into communities in which they can work on problems together, and uh, and 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 have good times together and connect from the distances, Uh, all of its original purposes. Uh, But it's gonna it's it's unfortunately in a period right now where uh, where it's it's taken on more. uh, It appears to have taken on more power and and control than it was ever intended. And that's, you know, that, I mean, that, that's what happened with the railroads in the 1800s. The, <laughs> the railroad titans got too powerful and they started controlling the economy. And then along came a guy named Teddy Roosevelt, and he just knocked the hell out of them. And <laughs> and and now you know, and and then and then along came uh, cars and airplanes, and they were they were obsolete. So if I were one of those guys running one of those big social media companies right now, I'd be looking back in history and say, "Wow, what can I learn from that?"
1: Mm-hmm. Ben, as you write, as you put your books together now, as you're in the process of working on these and presenting them and everything. Um, do you find yourself is it is it more about trying to predict what's going to happen or or use sort of the current situation and then just um, you know extrapolate from there? How much of it do you think is actual science fiction versus science nonfiction for you?
2: It's science nonfiction. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, first of all, the books really aren't futurist books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the books really take, it's all about human adaptation. And, and mm-hmm. given that we'll never know exactly how history is going to roll. I mean, how the future's going right. to roll out. Nobody can predict it, but we do know a lot thanks to Toffler and other people and some of these other futurists that I mentioned, uh, we know a lot about what's coming and about how it'll, how it'll tend to affect society. Uh, so for example, we can look to the, we can look for the next 30 years and we could say one thing for sure, change is going to continue to accelerate. things are going to get faster. And events are, it, and it's going to cause it to be more volatile. It's going to feel more volatile. It already does, right? Uh, so, 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 what do we do? How do we live and navigate through increased volatility and change? We know companies are going to come and go faster, uh, professions are going to come and go faster, uh, and we're going to live longer. So, we're going to have to be prepared to have more careers. Uh, and and more jobs uh, and adapt in between over a longer period of time and enjoy it. And so so that's the kind of thing I'm focused on is how do we navigate through that? Uh, uh, it's really not a book of trying to predict the future. We know those things are going to happen. Nothing's going to slow the pace of innovation, and, and we're going to feel increased volatility. Let's get ready for it.
1: You obviously, um, the human potential is something that you, you zero in on really effectively. And I know that's a passion of yours. And when we come back out of the break, there's a component, there's something that that I think you believe, feel is the the essential building blocks, the real DNA of potential that we're going to talk about, if that's okay, as soon as we come back after this commercial break. I'm Chris Septing, my guest is Ben Lytle, and we are having a, we're all over the map here in a really good way, but I'm really enjoying our conversation as it flies by. And we'll be back in just a minute to talk more. I'm Chris Septing, and this is the moment.
3: Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about roadside baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here. Big and small, telling and frivolous, I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, Philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward
2: slash voiceamerica.
0: You are listening to the moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or a comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chris.epting.com. That's Chris at chris.epting.com. Now back to the moment.
1: Welcome back! Thanks for joining me and my guest, my special guest today, Ben Lytle. Ben, talking about your book projects coming up. Like I said, you you have a great faith in the human potential, but there's a there's a an element to that that is really important to you that you shared with me before, and that's wisdom, which may sound simple enough, but I think the way you approach it gives it a lot more dimension and a lot more value. Talk, talk about that a little bit, if you would.
2: Yeah, well, and you're right. the The whole book series is called The Potentialist, and uh, uh, and and the the second book that's also the title of the second book of the of the series that really delves into how you how do you reach your own potential? Uh, but but at at the end of the day, if you had to boil it down, if you had to boil it down to say, what is going, what's going to, what is the greatest human achievement? What's the thing that's going to guide us through the future, the next thirty years, more than anything else? And I would argue it's wisdom. Uh, that wisdom is the greatest human achievement from which all other great human qualities flow or are subservient. So, so a wise person is loving and kind. A wise person is strong and resolute. A wise person is fearless. Uh, a wise person is empathetic. And a real easy test for every person is to say, if you were in a lifeboat, and you could only have one other person. What's the the defining quality of that person? Would it, would it be that they're wealthy or no, I don't mean anything. they're famous. No, you know, they're physically strong. Well, that's only that, that helps some, but no, what would you most want? And I think we'd all say, well, give me a wise man, give me a wise woman, give me a wise person that can, can get me out of this, uh, and and it's it, it for me it's got a very clear definition and it's not just for me this comes from research i've done going back to to sources over 5000 years it's it's a human capacity so so that doesn't mean even if we know how to be wise we're wise every time because wisdom is transactional it's applied in the moment literally defined it's the ability to apply timeless truth and perspective to a present immediate problem and that requires being able to see the truth and the rightness in two opposite realities at once because in in life we're always choosing right mm-hmm. uh, and, and then to hold that tension for so for until a solution emerges so it's a discipline being able to see the other person's point of view or the other it the other side of the issue and and hold it as clearly and as passionately as the one maybe you would naturally gravitate to and you hold that and then you look for the solution that is most right between those two polarities. That's that's what it is, but it's transactional in every situation. You have to apply that discipline because otherwise that's why sometimes wise people aren't wise. And we can look back and we can criticize people in the past, but but that's it's really unfair because First of all, maybe in that moment, they weren't able to hold that tension properly, or maybe in that moment, they were overwhelmed by the culture of the times they lived in. But, but it is definitely a human capacity. And I would argue it's what is missing and what we most crave in the world today. Uh, for example, one of the biggest searches uh, you know, on, uh, on the internet is, is for quotes. What are quotes? The wisdom, uh, our institutions, government—we used to get, be able to trust. Uh, we 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 had wisdom all around us. It was sort of our uh, our guardrails for all of us as all of us normal people, and 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 we looked at our governmental leaders, and they were wise, or our religious leaders, and we considered them wise, and we could trust them. Education, news media, but we look at it today, and they're all racked by scandal or corruption or they're not adapting very well. Uh, and, and and I think that, and of course this was very much fits with what Alvin Toffler was saying about the future uh, is that's what that's happening because we as individuals are going to have to rise to the occasion. The institutions can't keep up with the pace of change. That means we as individuals, can't get our wisdom externally. We're going to have to get it from ourselves. And we can learn it. That's uh, we it, Wisdom can be learned and accelerated. We have this incorrect thinking that it's strictly a function of age and maturity, trial and error, and it does not have to be. You can be as wise at 35 as you could be at 75 if you simply learn how to do it.
1: You had been um, working on an article, kind of a long-form piece called uh, The Wisdom Gap, in which you said it defined what wisdom is, how the capacity can be developed in all of us, and how its absence is at the root of polarized politics and other societal ills. Speaking of polarized politics, to your point that, that there was a time where we did look to a variety of leaders for wisdom, we don't really have that today. I mean, communication and and, and discourse has really it seems devolved into a level that's uh, that, that's pretty sad would you agree
2: oh absolutely and 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 it's a you know there's a there's a, a quote which I can't remember off the top of my head but it's 3,000 years old which says basically he who is an advocate is a fool and and uh, and I but I think we have to we have to we as individuals have to take responsibility. We, we can't point to the politics and say, oh, you know, the politics are all polarized. Isn't that awful? What a bunch of idiots. Right. Uh, why can't they get along? It's us. It starts right, with it's us. It's, uh, yeah, it starts. With, but, but think about how quickly that could change if suddenly as voters we stopped electing advocates and we sent very clear, got on our emails, sent to our Congress, quit advocating find the right solution. If we stopped uh, as voters electing advocates and actually demanded the wisest candidate, imagine uh, debates, you know, electoral debates where it wasn't one candidate getting up and advocating, beating up on the other, but just the opposite. We expected that candidate to get up and make the other fellow's argument as cogently as they could And then say, now, what are some options that'll get us closer together on this? That's, think how the world would change.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the issue is, of course, in a... In a uh, society where where ratings, you know, where it's about audience size, Mm. we know that spectacle rules, right? I mean, if the Mm Lincoln-Douglas debates were televised today, they probably wouldn't get much of an audience. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right? And for anybody that's ever gone back and read what those were in terms of debates, it's much different than what we call a presidential debate today. I mean, it's not even really the same thing.
2: Yeah, it's theater.
1: Yeah complete theater and I think we're always going to be fighting an uphill battle of, of, a, of a hunger for audience as long as that's dictating things, which is why I think if there were kind of a non-commercial venue where that didn't matter, we'd maybe have a better shot at sort of a, a more pure a more pure sense of wisdom or yeah. reason, you know reason and things like that.
2: Well, and w- one of the things, though, that Chris, it, you know, this my books are all speaking to an individual, not to a social ill or anything. And, and one of the things we can all do is we're in a social setting and someone says, uh, let me pick a topic. It could be, it could be capital punishment. It could be abortion. It could be, uh, you know, international relations, uh, whatever it is, uh, immigration. And we said, OK, let, let's as a group. Let's all see if we can find the truth in the two polarities of this of this issue. Uh, for example, uh, it is true that immigrants have made the United States a great country and will continue to do so in the future. And it's also true that uh, a culture will react negatively if it feels it's being overwhelmed. Uh, and so what do we do mm-hmm. about that? Yes, yeah, just I, I didn't I didn't I just made that up. So uh, no, but, know, but, 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 but it's but a logical it's
1: a sensible, um, you know. Yeah. And so, know. so let's see what we can craft.
2: We're not politicians, but let's see what we can craft here at the table. Let's see how we can enrich the two polar under our understanding of the polarities. And let's see what we can craft at the table hmm. That would be that's how we start to change ourselves and teaching our, you know, our children the same way. And well, and, right. And, that's,
1: and right. that's where bipartisanship, I think, becomes a, a you know, a bigger deal, because all of a sudden you have to be able to at a certain point put your politics politics down. And, and really talk about common good, which I think is not, I mean, look, in a two-party system, there's always going to be some rancor. I think we accept that. But it doesn't mean that you can't at any point not sit down and, again, put as much politics aside as you can and really focus on um, things that everybody can rally around.
2: Yeah, 100 years ago, most all speeches, and it wasn't that there was an occasional rancor because we had a thing called the Civil War, Uh, among others. Uh, But, uh, but I think what we can learn to do is the, the, the old uh, gracious move of uh, my esteemed colleague, you know, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) we start with that and you (laughs) truly mean it. And, uh, and, and, and because that's really one of the strengths of a two-party system that's not understood. It represents how our minds work. And and if when we Good learn point. to use when we learn to use those opposite polarities as a way of holding that tension and finding a truth in the middle uh, individually, then then we'll call for it in society, and and it will change. And I do believe, Chris. That times will demand it. I mean, I think uh, I think these what we're with the the pace of change, what we're going to see in the next thirty years, how our world is going to change, is going to force us to step up. And the faster we step up, the more we're, that we're those are going to be the leaders uh, in the twenty first century.
1: And in our last few minutes here, what what advice would you give to people if they want to? Um, expand their own sense of wisdom, their own, uh, you know, capacity for wisdom. What are things you think people can do today that will help them get there or focus on?
2: Uh, I think, you know, anything you can do to gain perspective. Um, One of the, to gain perspective and to learn practices like I've just talked about, this practice of using the opposites is thousands of years old. It's out there, you know. Uh, there's plenty to read on it. Uh, but uh, one of the one of the beauties of living in the time we do is it's a content-rich society. Uh, we have so many wonderful documentaries that will tell you about uh, human beings and, her, and, uh, and our, our history and how we got here in a very entertaining way in movies or documentaries, uh, podcasts that talk about um, uh, the arc of history being upward and how we got here so that you can get perspective of the times we're living in, in many ways, feel bad. But imagine if you were on the frontier in the time of the Mongol horde. Imagine if you were uh, living through the Black Death, where half the people in your in your in your community died—half. Um, and and by the way, the experts were telling you to go inside <laughs> <laughs> and don't <laughs> bathe. You know, <laughs> couldn't have been worse. Worse. So, oh, but 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 but. Think getting keeping perspective right now. Keeping perspective that yeah, these are challenging times, but uh, but but we'll get through them. And and how will we get through them? And how can I personally be wiser? Don't take it out there. Take it inside. What can I do, in my little world, to shine a light of optimism? Shine a light of uh, uh, of that is wise and guiding rather than. Uh, rancorous or or negative. Uh, that's that's what I would do. Would well, recommend.
1: T- terrific advice. I mean, we're at the about at the hour now, Ben, and I knew this would fly by, and I knew we would barely scratch the surface. But that's just a great excuse for us to continue this conversation um, in an upcoming episode. If you would be up for that.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, well, great. So let's let's do that then. Let's plan on getting back together sooner than later. Here on the moment, um, I know a lot of people are going to want to uh, keep tabs on where your book projects are at, and just you know, on your your societal takes and things. I think are really fascinating. I mean, again, it's great to have such such balanced intellect, such as yourself, um, to speak to what's going on today. I think it's comforting for a lot of us. I know I I, I can say that personally, and I really appreciate you taking the time. You bet, Chris. Ben Lettle, thank you. I'm Chris Epting. Thank you for listening to The Moment, and I will be back next week.
0: Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.